Hello, everybody. This is episode three of Money Talks. Today, we have a very special guest with us today by the name of Howard Linden. Howard is a very seasoned entrepreneur and investor who invests in both public and private markets. Howard is also an author, in addition to being the founder of StockTwist. Some of uh, Social leverages his VC firms. Notable investments include TicketFly, Robinhood, AngelList, Datafox, and eToro. So, Sandy, I'd like to send it over to you to ask Howard with our first question. Awesome. Thank you, Andrew. Um, so, Howard, could you give our listeners a little more background about yourself and what really sparked your entrepreneurial spirit growing up? Um, born in Toronto and uh, raised there. Went to undergrad at Western Ontario, then I went to ASU. And that entrepreneurship spirit was probably just sparked by my own curiosity, loneliness, uh, you know, scratching my own itches uh, and wanting to get out of the house. You know, I left home for college when and never came back when I was uh, 17. So a lot of it was just instinct and kind of just I had this uh, thing where I just fell in love with uh, passion and love with ideas and other founders with big ideas and I just chase them around. So, I mean, I, you know, not, that's kind of my path. I'd like to get into the next question here. So, I know me personally, uh, before I even knew who Howard was as an investor and as an entrepreneur, I had fallen in love with StockTwist, first and foremost. Um, I'm a personal user in the application every day. I don't know what I'd do without it when it comes to me doing my first you know, research when looking at a potential stock to invest in. Um, so with that being said, Howard, you know, could you give us a little background on the company and what really triggered the idea for StockTwist? Yeah, that's a good question. So, uh, you know, I built this for me, right? I didn't know that hundreds of thousands of people would like it. I did know that the time that I was unhappy with, uh, you know, CNBC and the products that I was reading, I didn't, I didn't, basically do fundamental research. I'm more of a uh, momentum and, and, and price follower, kind of let the charts do my fundamental research, and then I kind of over, you know, over overlap my my own catalyst and thesis. But um, in 07, Twitter was becoming really popular, and I believe that a Twitter for finance was going to be like a killer product, or that Twitter would just become a terminal. And so I bet a lot of my own money on on the sector and uh, came up with the idea for the dollar sign. It was hard for me using Twitter back in 07 because it was BlackBerry, there was no smartphone, and there was no way to search Twitter, you know, for like Apple or BlackBerry, the ticker itself, uh, without getting all kinds of spam. So we came up with the dollar sign. And once we came up with the dollar sign, you know, you could uh, we just started sharing it. Me and Fred Wilson, a bunch of venture capitalists, started talking in that language, kind of like hashtags, but for stocks. And I had to make a quick decision on whether to build a company because Twitter wasn't, you know, wasn't going to be a business on Twitter. And so uh, I came up with the idea to just start a separate company built on top of Twitter, and I was StockTwits originally. But the, the vision was, you know, for people who love talking about stocks, and love talking about them all day long as people were doing about every topic on Twitter when StockTwits was for you. So we were just building a community for people who just love talking about stocks. That's how it started. We kind of kept 
the spirit and the reverence of that type of, you know, uh, person. Uh, it's mostly male, but we, you know, we, we for whatever reasons. But it's it's basically just a you know a place for people to hang out and talk about stocks, get the sentiment. Like you said, if you want to find smart people on a ticker or on the on the markets, you do a little bit of work, find some people that are kind of uh, you uh, doppelgangers in trading, and then uh, quickly get the sentiment of the stock. And slowly, we've added features. That kind of leads us into our next question a little bit. Um, what advice would you give entrepreneurs that have started a business recently or have started a business in the past and are ultimately scared to leave school and work on that full time? Well, there's no perfect advice. We, you know, there's so many factors. You know, who's paying for school? Are you taking on debt? You know, how good is the idea? Do you have money for the idea? Are there financiers for the idea? Um, you know, I think in today's day and age, you know, everybody kind of needs a technical co-founder. So I think unless you have a, a technical co-founder, uh, it's crazy, you know, to drop out of college to start a business. Uh, and, you know, non-technical businesses, I think, are can be started after college. So, I, you know, I think if your parents are paying for college and you don't have debt, uh, you know, I can't see why you drop out of college for anything other than, you know, software driven global opportunity where you just have a unique, you know, vision around something that has to be built today. Uh, otherwise, um, so yeah, so you need a technical co-founder. It's silly to drop out over anything less than that. And then, um, you know, you know, I don't like to talk people out of it because, you know, um, you have to follow your heart, but at the same time, you know, if you're in your late teens, early 20s, you're going to start more than one business. You know, I think people became enamored with the Mark Zuckerberg thing and TechCrunch and the coverage of, like, you know, the movies, and, and so everybody thinks I could be a Mark Zuckerberg. Um, and that's just, we've seen how that plays out. Yeah, he's a billionaire. He's probably not the, uh, had the smoothest uh, path and and so I think maturity matters, and there's no rush to, to start a business. Awesome. Yeah, thank you for that answer. That's really interesting. So, Howard, I'd like to get into the next question. So a lot of our listeners, as I mentioned, are, you know, entrepreneurial students. Um, so to all of them who are listening in, you know, what is social leverage looking for when it comes to investing in early-stage companies yeah, we, we, you know, it started out, the idea was, you know, we, we, 07, when we started social leverage, the idea was, you know, the era of kids going into banking and levering up portfolios to try and beat the, the indexes was coming to an end. This era of financial leverage that, uh, kind of ended in 08 or, or kind of, how to be restarted in a way was going to be different. And at the same time, you had all the social graphs coming to the forefront. So, so social leverage is really about, you know, using our network, using our founder network, obviously as it gets deeper and using the graphs of today, and they're changing all the time, uh, to launch software companies really quickly. Um, so, it, you know, it has to do with this leverage set that people get both using the cloud and using social networks and using, uh, you know, ability to grow teams fast and, and uh, you know, switch product directions, um, find product market fit. So, so we're looking for, 
you know, people with real passion around a certain domain. I focus on financial services. My partner Gary focuses on enterprise. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're, we're really focused around problems that like get us excited, which is, you know, you know people coming out of school might have two millennials. So it's like, what products are they going to use to both uh, start saving and start investing? And when they get my money or, or money comes down to them, the trillions that are coming down to them, how are they going to think about money and invest? Awesome. Yeah, thank you. I think that was a fantastic answer. Um, so last episode, we had, we had the chance to dive into cryptocurrencies. Um, I have a great opinion, personally. I think I have a good opinion on cryptos. I was invested in cryptos at one point. I'm no longer. Um, you know, if you could give an educated opinion to our listeners on the crypto market, what's your take on it? Well, I mean, it's definitely not going away. I think we're in some kind of distribution phase where, uh, you know, the, the kids that wanted to do this got what they wanted. They got, like, tons of money. They got distribution. They came up with their products. They started their companies. And now they're going to get into the phase where there's, because they're publicly traded or not, or, or illiquidly publicly traded, uh, you know, how do you, the same issue as starting a company, you just now have another product, which is your public, you know, security, which could just be dead. Um, and so you'll have the same problems that other companies have, except you may not have traction. You may not be able to keep your employees who, who want to move on. So, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm long-term bullish on the idea of decentralization. <coughs> I'm bearish <coughs> on the hype and the fact that there's enough products to keep people excited short term, you know, uh, everybody's kind of attention spans around the world have dropped. It's not just making fun of millennials. And so I do think we are in a, in a vicious, you know, kind of bear market. I don't know how cycles are squeezed, but at the same time, you know, three years ago, it looked like it was inevitable that, you know, 20 companies would get to 1 trillion and that, um, it was impossible to hire talent because, you know, why would anybody leave Facebook, Google, uh, or Amazon? And now we're seeing, you know, at least with crypto, we have people leaving push jobs uh, to both start companies and to uh, get involved with companies. So I think that's a really good thing about the crypto market is there's enough there that smart people are leaving push gigs that they didn't seem that they would ever leave or have a reason to leave. Uh, the question is, you know, how many great companies are going to be built in a decentralized world? Is it going to be thousands or hundreds or just a handful? And I don't know that answer. And it's hard being in America where, you know, Visa, PayPal, Venmo, uh, MasterCard and banks kind of still control things to think about Bitcoin. So I think Americans are at a disadvantage both from a tax perspective and from a product perspective in the sense that uh, using my debit card is not broken and using uh, Venmo kind of works. And so I think it's more of a, a trading vehicle and a speculation tool for Americans. So I don't know. That would, that would be my uh, professional opinion. Cool. Awesome. Thank, thank you for that perspective. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, so, uh, Howard, I guess where I'd like to go next is as, like, two college entrepreneurial students like Andrew and myself, with having a podcast yourself back in 2006 called Wall Strip. Could you give us any tips you learned or maybe some memorable experiences you had doing the podcast? Um, well, I was doing it as a business, 
Um, so I had the stress of like taking investor money and you know, it was expensive to make a show even in those days for YouTube. So, you know, you know from a business perspective, it's not a good idea. Uh, from a passion and, you know, fulfillment perspective, I wanted to put CNBC on YouTube. So I started Wall Street and I got some good investors and, uh, that believed in that vision, and we started making one show a day, and it worked in the sense that we got acquired. Uh, I don't think it's something that uh, I would do as a business anymore, but I do think it's it's a great way to, um, especially podcasts, a great way to talk to smart people, and it seems like uh, podcasts are popular uh, for people especially younger people are really listening to them, whether it's because of uh, SoundCloud or Spotify or just uh, having an iPhone all the time uh, and more time in the day. Uh, you know, it's, it's, there's so many experts uh, with deep domain experience sharing insights that, uh, you know, it's, it's a great thing. Uh, you know, it, it's in the eye of the beholder, though. You have to... If you want to create content like you guys are doing, you have to hustle to get good interviews. You got to be prepared. You got to ask the right questions. You got to then go and distribute it, and uh, it just depends on the execution of it. So I wanted to get into uh, my next question, which actually means a lot to me. You know, this you know this opinion coming from you will, will mean a lot to our listeners. So we know how experienced of a trader you are and your involvement in the public markets. Um, do you have any stock market advice for millennials looking to start investing? Yeah, my advice has been pretty consistent. Is you know, start. You know, you have the advantages. You have your own E-Trade. You know, you have Coinbase and, and uh, Robinhood, and even Acorns for for people who just want to start uh, rounding up and with their first dollar or five dollars. Um, so I think we've seen that if you want to invest. There's no excuse not to start. Uh, I think so. Like if you're not started, you're going to be behind already 30 to 60 million millennials or whatever the number is around the world that are are already doing that and have opened an account. So so I think it's like urgent that young people start saving and and speculating and. And what the best way to do it is to own pieces of companies, you know, gather as much paper as possible and uh, start saving because you've got 50 years. So open up a Robinhood account, uh, buy your first stock, whether it's Apple or Netflix or a company that you feel is going to be around for the next 10 years and successfully with, with the product that you love. And then, uh, you know, go on to StockTwits or wherever it is, it, uh, Twitter and find smart people, venture capitalists and uh, a group of people that, that are in jive with how you think about the world and find your style uh, of investing that works. But most importantly, start saving and building a portfolio of what I call like 8 to 80 companies, which are companies that 8-year-olds use, and companies and products that 8-year-olds use and 80-year-olds use, from Disney to Netflix to um, maybe Bitcoin for younger people or Visa. But, uh, you know, companies that you can just start following. And then just learn the pulse of the markets, right? By opening up your Robinhood account once a day for five minutes and seeing, you know, red and green, you're going to start to get a feel for how uh, the mood of the market is. So, so finance and, and markets is a language. Uh, you can't learn Chinese or Spanish in a week. 
the best the best way to learn Chinese or Spanish is to immerse yourself in the language with locals. And so, uh, you know, the only way you can really do this is to get started. You can't just write it in an Excel spreadsheet and, and paper trade. You have to actually go put money to work. The great news is with Coinbase and Robinhood, you can put 10 bucks to work and start. And 10 bucks is better than zero because you'll see how you react to swings with your money. And I think that's a, your answer is really cool there because someone like me is a little less experienced than Andrew, who's been very experienced in the stock market. I'm just, like you said, cracking the cracking the base a little bit and getting involved in the stock market and learning how it works. And I definitely agree that it's a process and you're not going to learn it overnight. So I think that's interesting that you said that. So thank you. Yeah, for it took answer. me 20 years to get some confidence, and I think I, I think a young person can do it in three to five. Uh, and it's <laughs> time to be saving and, and building a portfolio. Awesome. Thank you for that. Okay, so kind of kind of taking a turn here on the next question. Um, I just wanted to ask you, what's the best business book you've read that's inspired you or inspired you as an entrepreneur, if there is one? Yeah, lately, um, I, mean, I like the Agassiz book. It was kind of not a business book. It was just more about his life as a superstar and all the stuff, all the emotions behind it and all the, the lies and uh, psychological stuff that he, he battled. I don't read that many business books because I'm an investor and, you know, uh, probably why I wasn't or not a, a great CEO or want to be a CEO is I, I don't read business books. Uh, so, so I like the Agassiz book just in terms of, you know, he was a kind of a loner, like an entrepreneur and he kind of breaks out what it, it's just a fabulous book about, you know, just what went on in his head. Um, so that's the founders. I'm more about the founders. And then uh, uh, recently, every entrepreneur should read uh, his book, uh, was Shoe Dog. Um, entrepreneurs today don't have to deal with the loneliness that Phil Knight had to deal with. And I think uh, I think he wrote it more as like a Bible to remind people how good they have it today. But also, it's just a great story to pass down about what starting a business was like 40 years ago, 50 years ago. Uh, the loneliness of you know, flying, building factories, uh, being detached from the world, no smartphones. Uh, I think not enough entrepreneurs today have that perspective. So I think probably the best business book I read, I don't even know if it's business more as a motivational book or just something to give you some context to how uh, lucky we are today. Yeah, I appreciate that, Howard. Yeah, no, I've actually, uh, I read the Andre Agassi uh, novel and, you know, it, it, it moved me in, you know, in a way that, you know, another book hasn't in the past. So to wrap this up and to get into my final question, um, you know, I feel like we saved the best question for last year. And, you know, to all our, you know, college entrepreneurial listeners and students, um, you know, Howard, we know how involved you've been in, you know, the mentorship of entrepreneurs and, you know, as advise, as an advisor to many startup companies. Um, if you could give any advice to our listeners graduating soon, you know, when it comes to finances, life, and, you know, entering the real world, you know, what's some great life, you know, um, life advice coming from you that you could give our listeners? Well, I'm watching my nephews, you know, early millennials take their first job at Indeed and Yelp and software companies. You know, my, my advice is, you know, there's two paths, right? Like you can be a founder, you can be a, a number 10 or a number two or a number three. I don't think everybody needs to be a founder. I think, you know, obviously 99%, 99 plus percent 
uh, whether they want to be a founder or not, just can't be. So I think people need to be really honest with themselves about what where they want to be. You know, do they? You know, and I think there's there's no shame in being a number two to a number ten at a company. So, so the sooner you can go out and get experience, but do it in a, at a company that you feel great about, right? Because we're always selling, whether we're an engineer or actually in sales. So align yourself with products that you just you know want to eat sleep and breathe, it'll make your, your job easier, and don't be caught up in title. I think if you can get in on sales or customers, if you're not an engineer and you can get in on the customer support side, most most great companies are hiring. Um, and so you just want to get involved with great companies that uh, uh, that can then train you. So the next thing is, you know, make sure you're at a company that can train you in the tools that so when you leave your first job, you know how to use Salesforce, you know how to use NetDesk, you know how to use uh, HubSpot, you know how to use Workday. Like if you can't use the enterprise, you know, software tools of today, then you're not getting good training. You know, school is one thing, but your first job needs to train you for your next job. And so if you are not an engineer yourself, you need to be at a, at a part of the company where you're learning the tools that'll make you recruitable at your next company. So you know, don't focus on just being a founder. Uh, you know, it's okay to be a number two. And then, you know, like I said, you got to learn to use the tools of the trade. Awesome. Well, with that being said, yeah, thank you for that answer. Um, and, you know, I'd like to wrap things up here. So to everybody listening in, thank you for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to have Howard Winsen, founder and chairman of StockTwits with us today. And we look forward to seeing the feedback we get from this third episode. So thank you, everybody. And that concludes episode three of Money Talks with Howard Lindsay. Thank you, everybody.